Good morning. It's uh, good to be back here. We haven't been here in church now for a couple of weeks, and uh, we've missed it. Uh, although we've been doing good and fun things elsewhere, uh, it's, it's good to come back uh, home. Last Sunday, we had the chance to be in McGregor um, for a baby dedication for Matt and Carrie and Adeline, which was exciting to be at, uh, kind of knowing their whole journey and, and being able to be part of that and encouraging and supporting them in that way. And the Sunday before that, Bryn and I were in Langley, B.C., for a wedding of one of Bryn's friends uh, from Prov from a few years ago. And so we decided, since we were going out there anyway, to make a little bit of a trip out of it, and uh, ended up being in Seattle and Vancouver for about seven days uh, in total. And we packed those days full of many different things, uh, many different touristy things. Going to the Vancouver Aquarium, which I would definitely recommend, uh, especially if you have kids, I would guess in the 10-ish range would probably be a, an ideal before that, I, maybe, try it. I recommend it, either way. Um, went to a, a famous market in Seattle, which has the first ever Starbucks, but that line was way too long for me to go to. Uh, went to several different restaurants and to a Seattle Kraken game, and I, I see Benson cheering over there. Uh, both in and around Vancouver and Seattle, we did, uh, had the opportunity to spend a lot of time hiking. Uh, the area out there on the West Coast is well known for hiking trails and for spending time outdoors. And luckily, uh, it wasn't too rainy. That, that place this time of year especially can be very rainy. And it wasn't too bad, so we were able to spend a lot of time outdoors uh, and going on hikes and taking in God's beautiful creation in nature. And I know it's, it's beautiful here and we have great sunsets and great sunrises if you get up that early, but there's just something... That, uh, something for me about the mountains that's always been amazing. Uh, a beautiful display of God's power and creativity unlike anything else for me. And I don't know if it's just because it's flatter than flat here or if it's something special. It is something special, I know that. And, and I love the mountains and the trees there. There were several times uh, during our trip, specifically on hikes, where I would see something and, and say to Bryn or think to myself, that would be a great sermon illustration someday. So I think I'm starting to kind of learn about my pastor's eyes. And so a little warning to you, be careful what you, all, what you do around me. You might all of a sudden be in an illustration. Jump ahead to this past week, uh, as I was thinking about what to preach on this morning, an idea that Bryn threw out, and so I'm, I'm saying that she threw it out in case it's not a good idea, then you can go talk to... No, no, uh, you can come talk to me, and I, I invite your feedback on messages that I, that I preach. The idea she threw out, though, was to preach a lesson on... Uh, to preach about lessons from the forest. Uh, we kind of joked around about it a little bit and tossed around some silly ideas that could be illustrations. Didn't think too seriously about it. Uh, and then the next day, that was Monday morning, I went, I thought about it some more. And I thought, you know what, that might actually be a cool idea. Uh, a year and a half ago, we were on our honeymoon in, in San Francisco and had the chance to hike in a, a redwood forest. Uh, and now this trip, we had the opportunity to spend some more time in forests. And I thought that might be pretty fun and a neat thing to speak on. Plus, it's a bit of a change-up from our Galatians series that we're just coming out of, uh, which was very heavily focused on preaching through the, the book, which I love and think is great and important, and we have heard lots of positive feedback from. Um, but yeah, I thought it might be cool to take a little bit of a different angle. So that's what we're going to do here this morning. We're going to jump around a little bit from San Francisco to Seattle to Vancouver and, and jump around in our Bibles uh, different verses that, that I feel God has shown me, um, taught me through nature, and specifically through hiking and trees. 
And so before we jump in, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for creation, for your creation, for nature, and for the ways that it points us to you, that we see your power and your creativity uh, and ultimately your, your design, uh, your power over all things. Thank you for the ways that I feel you've taught me through nature, and I pray that this morning as I share lessons I, that I feel I've learned, um, that something would connect with each one of us. That going out throughout this next week and, and throughout the next few weeks, that somehow we would be able to incorporate these things in our lives uh, and, yeah, be drawn closer to you and closer to our church community through these lessons. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to start in San Francisco in a, a park called Muir Woods. That's where I would say both Bryn and mine uh, favorite part of our honeymoon trip was in that forest. Uh, it's, it's home to not the specific tallest tree, but home to the largest, the tallest type of tree in the world, which is the coastal redwood. The actual tallest one is a little bit further north at the north and northern tip of California, and it's 380 feet tall. But these ones in this Muir Woods Park were about 300, a lot of them. And to give a little clarification, or... Uh, a little comparison, the golden boy, the tip of the golden boy is about 250 feet from the ground. And so these trees are taller than that and can live for many hundreds and even to the, into the thousands of years. So naturally, I would think, I think many of us probably would think that these roots would go down deep. To support a tree standing that tall, the, the roots must go deep. However, that's not the case. The coastal redwood tree's roots typically grow about 3 to 12 feet below the surface of the ground. And it's incredible. You know, we wonder how does a tree that tall not just fall over when it gets windy or when they have mudslides or earthquakes in that area. And the reason this works is because of connectedness. Their roots can grow about 80 to 100 feet from where the base of the tree is. And, uh, and not only that far, but along the way, they intertwine and connect with other roots from other trees. This is how they can stand strong throughout the storms. They support each other. Not only do they intertwine and support each other physically from falling over, but they actually share, they connect and share nutrients to keep each other strong and alive. And not only with the exact same types of trees either. And I just think this is a beautiful picture of church and what we are called to. Connectedness and community. And not only with the people that are exactly like me. So we go to the book of Acts, to the beginning of the Christian church, to see the evidence that this is how the Christian church is called to live. Acts 2, verse 42 to 47 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And it's not just a one-off. A couple chapters later in Acts 4, verse 32 to 35, we see they're still doing the same thing, living in complete fellowship. 
It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, uh, in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. From, for from time to time, those who had land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was dis- distributed to anyone who had need. Together. Many times in those verses, it says together. They ate together. They shared and with each other. Now I'm not trying to say that we should all go out and sell what we have and, and distribute it among each, amongst each other, but I think it's a good lesson and a good example of the selflessness of the first church and that communities run best when they are more focused on loving others and less focused on ourselves. In Philippians 2 verse 3 and 4, Paul encourages the same thing. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Communities thrive when we can humble ourselves and look to the interests of others. I would say it's not only communities that thrive, but I think each individual thrives when this happens. And 1 Peter 4, verse 8 to 10 says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. It's each other, one another. These words are used here. They're all about being connected to others. Offer hospitality to one another. Uh, Serve others. In Galatians, which we just finished going through, it says, bear one another's burdens. That's how these trees grow strong and they stand tall. They connect with each other. And I believe that's how we're created. We're created to be in community, in relationship. In a few places in the Bible, it says God is love. Now, this phrase means more than simply God is loving, but God is love. It's not just about his character, but it's about his very essence. It's who he is. God is love because he's triune. Before the the world is created, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all together in a perfect relationship. And it forms the core of who God is. God is others-orientated. He's self-giving. For eternity, he exists in a community of perfect love as Father, Son, and Spirit. And we're created in that likeness. God creates man in his own image, but that's not enough. And he creates woman so that they can be connected in relationship, together. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned, They're in perfect relationship, and that's the design for humanity to be connected. Now, that's the biblical truth, uh, proof of where this comes from, and I think there's also overwhelming evidence in our secular world that we are made for connection. Uh, I found some studies that show this. Uh, One study says, um, women with breast cancer who are part of a large network of friends are four times more likely to survive than women in solidarity. Another study says that people who have several close connections have lower rates of dementia. Another study says uh, those who are well-connected tend to have far better mental health than those who are alone. The evidence is clear, and I think we saw that in many ways during COVID, how we need others. We need to be in community. Robert Waldinger, he's a psychiatrist and professor at Harvard Medical School. He's been involved in, a, in a, one of the longest 
studies of adult life ever conducted, which is going on around 80 years. And he states it simply. God, uh, good relationships keep us happier and healthy, healthier, period. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 to 12, this isn't only a marriage verse, by the way, says two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And I can't help but picture these roots when I hear that verse. That's what this is talking about. That's how we're to live. When one falls down, his friend can pick him up. When one's overpowered by temptation or by stress or whatever it is, when one is overpowered, two can stand firm. They can defend themselves. It's a beautiful picture. When I was in junior high and, and into high school a little bit, my constant prayer in my own life was for a friend to go deeper with. I had lots of friends. I was pretty popular, I would say. But I never felt like I had a friend that I could go deeper with. Uh, my parents would ask me several times in those years, how can I pray for you? And that was over and over was my, well, my, my request. Pray for me for, to have a friend that I could go deeper with. And then finally, after several years of praying for this, uh, the prayer was answered. A friend asked me if we could go deeper together in our friendship. If we could read our Bibles and talk about our faith and our challenges that we are going through in life. And I was pumped, you know, yes, this, this is what I've been waiting for. And we started doing that, and since then I've been able to do that with many more friends, and it's, it's a beautiful, a great, and meaningful thing. But the crazy thing was, is that this friend that came to me and asked me to go deeper had been my friend all along. We'd played sports together, we'd talked about sports, played video games. That's probably pretty much it. And he had been wanting the same thing too the whole time. But we were both too scared to ask. So why am I saying this? Sometimes I think the thought of vulnerability and openness can be scary. I've been there. I'm guessing many of you have been there as well. But we can become so much stronger because of it. I think these roots, they teach us a great lesson. If, they would send, if these trees would send their roots down a couple feet and then wait for a different tree to come and connect, it would either never be connected or by the time a different tree comes and gets to it, a different root, tree's roots come and get to it, they wouldn't have a strong enough connection for when the storm comes. I think it goes along a little bit with what my dad and Kim were saying about filling our, our granaries in the good years. Build those connections even when it's not hard. The connections need to happen prior to the storm, otherwise they won't be strong enough to support you in the storm. When these storms come, uh, we already have the strong connections, rather than quickly building them. And, and these connections are valuable not only in the difficulties, I think, but also in the good times, to celebrate uh, in, the, in the mundane, to connect, to be present and encouraging. And so I tell you this to encourage you to step out and connect with others. Build those meaningful relationships that help strengthen and encourage each other. The early church was all about being together and with others, and I think that hasn't changed. We need that too. Another cool thing about redwoods is called fairy rings. This is what it's called when redwoods are seen growing in circles, which is quite common. This is from an article I found highlighting some of the science behind this phenomenon. The article says, the science behind fairy rings also sometimes called fairy circles, is fascinating and unique. 
The clearings are a byproduct of coastal redwoods' amazing reproductive nature, which is a source of their incredible resilience. Coastal redwoods reproduce in two ways. The first, unsurprisingly, is by seeds. The other way the coastal redwood reproduces is by sprouting from their extensive shallow root structure. These young sprouts get a terrific head start from the nutrients of the mature tree and surrounding root structure. When a mature coastal redwood tree is cut down or falls for some other reason, its roots will commonly begin to re-sprout from the roots in the manner around the stump, often in a near-perfect circle. Over time, the stump will decay and disappear, leaving only the clearing with the circle of younger trees around it, and then you have a fairy ring. And it's amazing. I remember being in, in the redwood forest and standing inside of one of these circles and looking up at like a picture like this and seeing a nice, beautiful, perfect 300-foot-tall circle going up. And it's because of the nutrients that the parent tree gave them to start their own life that this happens. Long after the parent tree had died and decayed, these new redwoods stand firm because of them. As we were hiking in Seattle a couple of weeks ago, I was reminded of these fairy rings because of a new phenomenon I saw, which is called nurse trees. This is one of the, the main times that I told Bryn that would be a good sermon illustration. So if it's not afterwards, come and tell me, but we'll see. These nurse trees or nurse logs or stumps, as they can also be called, were very cool to see. What happens is that after a tree has fallen uh, and just the stump is, is standing there, a tree will grow from the top of it and the roots will be sent down around it and eventually as it grows and gets stronger, those roots reach the ground. But the reason that that happens is because these stumps, the tops of them are very moist and fertile. And as it, when a seedling will land there, it has all it needs to grow. Again, like the first lesson of being connected, I think this is an amazing picture of the church. It has been for many years one of my favorite things about our church is that we are very multi-generational. And don't worry, I'm not calling any of you elder people stumps. <laughs> but I'm so grateful for you, for the elderly in our church, both the ones who have passed away already and the ones who are still here. You've been an incredible impact on our church, on me as an individual, and I think on many of us as individuals. And that's the church. It's generational to generation. There aren't barriers between us. A few weeks ago, our senior youth leaders had the chance to attend a, a youth worker community conference in Winnipeg. It's a conference that's put on by an organization called the Youth Worker Community. They put out lots of different material for youth, youth groups over the year, and they uh, have a podcast, and they run these conferences across Canada over the, during the year. Uh, on the Friday of the conference, there were meetings and sessions for the youth pastors in the area. The presenter from what, for one of these sessions shared an intensive study of teens and young adults that had been done over the last few years, specifically looking at why teens and young adults are leaving the church and many leaving the faith altogether. Something that was an overwhelming theme throughout the study was that teens who stick with the faith and stay in church often have, uh, have had and still have several adults who are very connected and invested in their lives. Adults who have taught them to read the Bible, to pray, who text them during the week and see how they're doing. And not just Sunday school teachers and pastors, but any adult from the church. I forget the exact number, but it was significant, the ways in which adult connection, generation to generation love and care and teaching and training hugely affects the faith and well-being of a teen. That's what these nurse trees do. 
They share nutrients and provide a place for young trees to grow and learn, all the while supporting and encouraging them. It's a beautiful picture of the church and of the ways in which all of us, like I said, doesn't matter if you're involved in Sunday school or a youth, a youth leader or a pastor, we're all called to be connected and involved in the lives of the younger people growing up. It's crucial in keeping the church healthy and alive and keeping the young people active and strong in their faith. I think if, you aren't, if we aren't going to pour into the lives of the kids and teens in our church, Taylor Swift probably will. She's got to be one of the most influential people right now, especially in teens. Although I was uh, in junior high, I was a bit of a Taylor Swift fan. We weren't called Swifties back then. That was before that. Although I was once a fan, I don't want her to be one of the biggest influences uh, in the lives of our teens and kids today. I think that's our job as the church. The psalmist speaks of this in Psalm 78. My people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from the de- their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. I think especially verses 4, 6, and 7 highlight what, what I'm talking about here. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, the wonders he has done. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. They would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. That's what it's all about, telling the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, the wonders he has done, then they would put their trust in God. That's our desire and our hope and our prayer, and I think also our job. Connect with a teen or a youth and make a difference in their lives, and in turn the generations after them. And for you kids and teens, I encourage you, press into the opportunity to learn from the elderly in our church. Moses encouraged the Israelites to do the same in Deuteronomy 32 verse 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you. Your elders and they will explain to you. I remember being a young boy and uh, we were often, I would say almost always, the last ones to leave church. My parents would spend so much time talking to everyone and as a young boy I just wanted to go home. I remember being excited uh, about getting my drivers and my own car for many reasons, but one of them was so that I could leave church when I wanted to. Thankfully, I learned something in those years before I got my drivers and my own car. Because once I did, I wasn't the first to leave. I was still one of the last. And I clearly remember enjoying that fact. I loved and still do love being able to hear stories and learn things from the elderly in our church. And I think depending how young you are, the the age limit for elderly changes. But the older people in our church. It's a great treat and blessing to be able to have this kind of community. And it's important for us as we grow up to be influenced by the older generations. An amazing thing about these nurse trees, the younger ones you couldn't see it yet, but the older ones, they're called ghost nurse trees. There would be a strong, mature tree standing there 
with the bottom of the, of the base of the tree a couple feet off the ground and roots twisting and turning as they went down into the ground. But the original stump that gave them the nutrients that they needed to grow when they started off, they weren't there anymore. They had decayed and rotted away, but still these younger trees were shaped by them. The impact of the dead, somewhat forgotten stump was, that was no longer there was still living on through the tree it had helped grow and sustain early on. And I love that picture. Our church, the people of our church are still shaped by the ones who have already passed away. All of this is a journey. Building meaningful connections doesn't happen overnight. Teaching younger generations to pray and read their Bibles, it doesn't just happen like that. The people who have gone before us and shaped our church and our own individual lives, their faith didn't go from zero to 100 in an instant. And we ourselves, growing in our faith, it, it isn't always immediate. It's a journey and a process. We found out all about a journey while we were in Vancouver as we hiked up the Gross Mountain uh, just north of Vancouver. Bern and I hiked up a trail called the BCMC Route. This trail is 2.9 kilometers long, which isn't terribly long for a hiking trail. But in those 2.9 kilometers, you hike up 750 meters of elevation, about 2,500 feet. And it's steep the entire way. Luckily, at the top of the mountain, there's a gondola waiting to take you back down. But you need perseverance to get to that point. We started our hike and uh, saw some beautiful trees. Then we turned left and uh, saw some more beautiful trees. We turned right and we went up a staircase made out of rocks in the side of the mountain. Saw some more beautiful trees. I'm not trying to make it seem like it was tiring of seeing, I was tired of seeing the trees. They were beautiful. But we were going for a long ways. Another staircase, turn right, another staircase. We were going for a long ways and then there in the distance on a tree, I saw a sign and it said two out of 50. And we went, what? Two out of 50? We felt like we'd been going a long ways already. That's like, that's like 125th of the way there. You know, the legs were burning and the feet were aching and the sweat was running. This was going to be a challenge. We decided, though, we would just keep going. If we needed a little break, we would take one. But we would press on. You know, remember those signs I talked about from Winnipeg uh, several months ago in a sermon? Press on. I had to tell myself that many times throughout this hike. The hike was beautiful but steep. We told ourselves we would keep going. This reminds me of uh, what Paul speaks of in Philippians 3. Verses 12 to 14, he says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already made, uh, been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. A couple of times, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this, and I do not consider myself to yet have taken hold of this. I had a prophet, SBC, that talked about faith as a verb, as an action word. He talked about it as faithing. Faith is something that we need to be continually growing in, never stationary. It takes action. Like climbing this mountain, we continually kept, eh, I should be honest, we didn't continually keep going. Imagine the people that that came pretty much running past us. I don't know how they did it, but they kept going. So let's picture them for a little bit. They kept going, uh, and they, I'm sure, were tired. I would hope so. They were tired, and, and they kept going. They kept moving forward. They didn't take breaks. There's no arrival except the ultimate goal of being in heaven 
in our faith journeys, in our lives. That's the goal Paul speaks of here. He presses on toward the goal, heaven. And that is what we, need, we are to do as well. The trail we hiked had some points that were extremely tough. There were large steps carved out of rocks. At some point, steep stairs were, were built into the side of the mountain uh, out of logs, and they definitely wouldn't have passed any building codes because the rise was quite high. But it was, it was tough. There were tough times. And, uh, and I think that's like our faith journeys, like our lives. We have times that are tough. Then all of a sudden, we got to a point that flattened out a little bit, and it was easier. And then in the distance, we saw some more stairs coming. Sometimes we had to pull ourselves up. They were so steep, and, and it, it's, our, it's like our lives. There are times that are tougher. There are times that are easier. We lose our job, or a family member is sick, or whatever it may be. And life seems hard, but press on, as Paul says, straining forward toward what is ahead, the prize. When you're straining for the prize, Paul says, you need to forget what is behind. At 2 out of 50, although it felt like we had gone a long ways, in the big picture, our vehicle wasn't that much further back down the mountain. We could have turned around and gone back. Many ways, it would have been much easier, but we wouldn't have achieved the prize. So we strained on toward what was ahead. I wish I could say the prize of our hike was all we wanted it to be, but uh, we got to the top of the mountain and looked out at what was supposed to be a beautiful uh, view of Vancouver, and this is what we saw. Clouds, about uh, 30 feet in front of us, maybe. We did get to see, I don't know if you can see it in the left picture, the sign says 50 out of 50, so that was a, a good part of the prize, even though the tree had been cut down. But we got to the top, and uh, in many ways, in some ways the prize wasn't worth it. In some ways it was. We got a good leg workout in. We saw lots of beauty. But it wasn't all that we wanted it to be. We don't have to wonder if our heavenly prize will be worth it. Heaven will be all that we want it to be, and so much more. Heaven is worth the straining. So simple recap of the lessons uh, I've learned, and I hopefully you can join in in learning with me this morning, were uh, the tallest and some of the oldest trees in the world are able to live and thrive because they are connected to each other. Without each other, they would not be able to survive the storms of life. And so it is with us. We are created to be in community, to be connected. And although it can sometimes be hard to open up to that idea, uh, to, to vulnerability and openness with others, we and others around us will become stronger because of it. Through the nursing trees, we can see the importance of pouring into the next generations. What we are called to do is a generation-to-generation thing. Whether or not you're part of a specific youth ministry or Sunday school, we can all connect and help encourage and build up the next generation to know and love Jesus, and in turn, they to the next generations. And lastly, through the tough hike we endured, we can be reminded that our faith lives are a journey. It's a process. And ultimately, that journey is worth it. It won't always be easy, but as Jesus says in John, he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. And through him and because of what he did on the cross, and as he was resurrected from the grave, we know the reward will be worth it. And this is church, and this is faithing, and it's worth it. Amen.